Childhood is a wonderful thing. Most of us have very fond memories of our childhood. Because when we are children, we have a great degree of freedom from responsibilities. All of our food, clothing, shelter, everything that we need is practically taken care of. We have time to spend playing with our friends. We have time to dream about the future. We even have time to watch cartoons all day long. And I know I'm about to date myself, but one of my favorite cartoons was Fat Albert. How many of y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. What about the Flintstones? Anybody remember the Flintstones? Yeah. And the Jetsons? Come on now. We all believe that cars are going to be flying by the year 2000, right? Watching the Jetsons. But because childhood can be such a wonderful period in our lives, many of us as adults try to remain in that state. The term that's been coined to describe this dynamic is called a delayed childhood. However, the prospect of a delayed childhood and that particular dynamic is not only something that we find in the world, it's also something that we find in our Christian walk. Because after getting saved, many of us as Christians try to remain as spiritual children. But this is contrary to the word of God because the word of God calls us to grow in our faith. The word of God calls us to grow in wisdom. The word of God calls us to grow in knowledge. It calls us to grow to be spiritually mature Christians. And that is the title of the sermon that I'll be preaching today the spiritually mature Christian. And this sermon is based on the scriptures found in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. So please open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Now, this particular book was written by the Apostle Paul, as most of you know, and he wrote it right about between A.D. 60 to 62. And he wrote this particular book to the believers in Ephesus in order to instruct them as to how to become genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And he does this by teaching both doctrine and practice. During the first three chapters of the book, he teaches a lot about doctrine. And during the last three chapters, He teaches how to live out those doctrines. In chapter 4, which is the chapter that I'll be preaching from today, in verses 1 through 10, he teaches about practice by explaining how we as believers should live in a way that honors our right position in Jesus Christ. He teaches how Jesus Christ has blessed the body of believers with spiritual gifts and how he obtained the right to give them those gifts. And then in verses 11 through 16, he goes on to explain 
how God has given the body of believers, gifted men, to build them up to the point of unity in the faith and spiritual maturity. With that said, and those truths being spoken about, I'll go ahead and start reading in verses 11 through 16. Now here Paul says to the believers in Ephesus, he says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, and these are the scriptures that I'll be preaching, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, after Paul explains how God has blessed the body to be built up in unity and maturity. He begins in verse 14 and he says, as a result, we are to no longer be children. Now, with that statement, Paul is declaring that the product of God's divine design to build up the body of Christ should be that they are no longer children. The product of God's divine design to build up the body should be that those Ephesian believers are no longer spiritually mature, immature. It should be that they are no longer childlike in their understanding of the scriptures. The product of God giving the body of believers, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers should be that those Ephesian believers should come to the point of having a great understanding of the scriptures. It should be that they come to the point of having a great understanding of all of the prescriptives that we find within the holy canon that God has given us. It should be that they should have a great and exemplary soundness in their doctrine. It should not be that after all that God has gone through, in blessing them with these gifted men who hold these offices, that they should still remain at the point of being infant-like in their understanding of the prescriptives that are found within the Bible. And Paul issues this directive not only here to the Ephesians, but throughout the different letters that he writes within the Bible. We see it especially in Corinthians especially as corrupt as some of those Corinthian Christians are, Paul went out of his way to let them know that they should not act like immature believers. For it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brothers, do not be childlike in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So Paul directed those Corinthians 
to be mature in their thinking. In other words, they should not have a low-level understanding of the heights of God's word. And Paul issues that directive not only to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians, but he also issues it to you and I. Because after walking with the Lord for 5, 10, 15 years, none of us should have a poor understanding of the riches containing God's truth. None of us should have pennies in the bank of knowledge when God has given us the fortunes of his word. None of us should be broken wisdom when God has given us the treasures of his transcendent mind. We should be spiritually mature. We should embrace the truths that are found within the scriptures, dig deep into them, and grow to the point to where God recognizes that we have been obedient to him, obedient to studying his word. And after Paul explains to these believers how God has blessed them, he continues to speak to them about the riches and the gifts that God has given to them. For he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, there when Paul says that those Ephesian believers are not to be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, he is using two illustrations to describe how immature believers are impacted by a lack of knowledge. In the first illustration, he paints a picture of a person being carried by waves wherever the current may take them. This is the person who is not anchored in the word of God. This is the person who is not fastened to the foundations of the faith. And then in the second illustration, he paints a picture of a person who is carried by the wind in whichever direction it may blow them. And he specifically says and uses the words wind of doctrine. And with the use of that phrase, he is specifically referencing the immature believer who is carried about by every new false teaching that comes his way. This is the new believer that is prone to follow every fad in the faith. This is the person who believes the false prophet that comes along that teaches that the sky is green and the grass is blue and that Jesus Christ simply swooned on the cross, meaning he fainted and therefore he didn't really die for our sins. This is the believer who is immature enough to believe that false prophets, when they teach that Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the tomb because those early believers simply came along and stole his body from the grave. This is a travesty to believe this. 
It was a travesty in the day of the Apostle Paul, and it's a travesty in our day and time. Because even now, there are immature believers who one day worship at the altar of Joel Osteen's prosperity gospel. And then the next day, they're purchasing miracle spring water from Peter Popoff. Come on now. This grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, he commands us and directs us through the Apostle Paul to be spiritual mature believers who are not carried and tossed around by the waves and by every wind of doctrine. This is what we should commit ourselves to being. Believers who are grounded in the faith, who are fastened to the truth of God's word so that we are not easily tricked, as the Apostle Paul goes on to state when he says that we should not be fooled by the trickery of men and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. Now, with this statement, Paul is using a series of words to describe how immature believers are manipulated by both man and God. He is indicating that when believers are immature and naive in their faith, they are easily fooled. Because when you look at the word trickery being used there, that word is derived from the Greek word which describes dices that were used by gamblers. And just as in our day, in Paul's day, the gamblers would load the dice so that they would have an advantage over their opponents. And in this way, they tricked them. And when Paul uses the word craftiness there, that carries the meaning of making something that's false seem like it's new. And when he uses the word scheming there, that is the same word that Paul used in Ephesians 6.11 when he says that we should stand against the schemes of the enemy. So with the use of the word scheming, Paul is alluding to Satan using false teachers to systematically teach erroneous doctrine. With the use of the word scheming, he is pointing to the devil raising up false prophets to systematically teach false philosophies. And these false philosophies lead many people astray. I saw a somber example of this at the top of last week. And it came especially after I had a a deep discussion with my brother Michael about one of the false philosophies that's impacting the younger black generation today. At the top of last week, I don't know if you remember or if you saw it, but Kyrie Irving returned back to the Barclays Center for his first home game after he was suspended. And there's video showing hundreds of black men standing outside of Barclays in munition in support of Kyrie Irving. And to the common eye, it looked like a great showing of strength and love by black people for Kyrie Irving. 
But to the believer's eye, you then notice that they all wore a purple shirt that said in the front, Israel united in Christ. So these were self-described black Hebrew Israelites. And they attested the philosophy that they are the only true Hebrews in the world. And because of this, they have placed their faith in the false narrative of their ancestry instead of their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now, I must say, are there black Jews in the world? Absolutely. Are there Hebrews in the Old Testament with African blood running through their bodies? Definitely. Because we know that Joseph was married to an African woman by the name of Aseneth. And they had two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And those two children form two of the 12 tribes of Israel. So God, in his infinite wisdom, brought the Hebrew family and the African family together to be a part of his family. But can we then deduce from that that black Americans in the U.S. in this day and time are the only true Hebrews in the world? Absolutely not. And this is why we must be grounded in the truth of God's word. Because Satan is spreading false philosophies every day. And if you're not careful, you could easily be manipulated if you're not steeped in the word of God. So let us continue to spend time in God's word on a daily basis, not just on Sundays. Let's also do it Monday through Saturday so that when we're presented with these heretical teachings, we have an answer for them. And we can stand in confidence in knowing that we have the one and true Savior, that Jesus Christ is the one and only way through salvation. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. And after Paul implores these believers in Ephesus that they should not be fooled by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He then goes on to say in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Now, this is a directive given to the mature believer. Here Paul is proclaiming to the mature Ephesians and to you and I that we are to share the truth of the gospel. We are to share the scriptures of the holy canon. We are to share it with a dying world. And when we do, we are to do it in love. We are to do it with great compassion. And we know that this is a clarion call to the mature believer because only the mature believer possesses the wisdom, the soundness of doctrine, the self-control, the compassion that it takes in order to share the truth in love. The immature believer does not possess the wisdom, 
the humility, the soundness in doctrine, and the self-control to share the truth of the gospel in love. This is great incentive for you and I, therefore, to grow in wisdom. This is great incentive for you and I to grow in our faith. This is great incentive for you and I to grow in knowledge. This is great incentive for you and I to grow to the point of spiritual maturity. Because God does not bless us with coming to the point of maturity. He does not bless us with the knowledge of his word so that we can just keep it for ourselves. He doesn't raise us up over the years to know his word intimately so that we can simply be self-satisfied, so that we could be puffed up with pride and look down on other believers because they don't know as much as we do, so that we could walk around as we say, you know, as that Christian with a big head and a little body, just puffed up with all kind of knowledge, but keeping it all to yourself. No, God raises us up to the point of maturity in the faith so that we can share the truth of his holy word with those who are lost so that they may come to receive the free gift of salvation that's offered through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is why he blesses us and he graces us with knowledge of his infallible word. And once we are blessed with it, we're to share it with those who are dying, those who are in the clear path to hell, and we're to do it in love because this is what the Apostle Paul did. Paul was a great example of sharing the truth in love. We see a wonderful example of this in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.7. There, when Paul evangelized and ministered to the Thessalonians, he said to them in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he said, we prove to be gentle among you, nursing you as a mother tenderly cares for her own children. We were pleased not only to impart to you the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So Paul declared to those Thessalonians that when he evangelized them, when he ministered to them, he showed great affection. He cared for them as a mother cares for her own children. And not only did he share the gospel with them, but he shared his very life with them. And this is how we are to go out into the world and share the gospel. We are to show great affection to those who are lost. We are to show great care and compassion to them. And not only are we to share the gospel with them, but we should share the entirety of our lives. We should meet their needs when we are able to. And the church has done a great job of this historically on many occasions. At the same time, historically, the church has missed the mark many a times. Because I often talk to my daughter, Taryn. She's... 25 years old, and she works within the social media industry. And 
we sometimes have these deep conversations about faith and about her generation. And when I ask her about her, genera- her generation and their perspective on Christianity, to a large degree, they have a negative perspective on Christianity. And by the grace of God, she's been blessed with some friends who are believers. At the same time, she has friends who are non-believers also. And she says that they and so many in her generation, they are largely anti-Christianity. And one of the main reasons why they're anti-Christianity is because of the horrible testimony that we as a church at times have displayed in sharing the gospel. Because many a times we've shared the gospel in anything but love. Come on now. Many a times we've politicized the gospel. And we've seen a lot of that over these recent years. Many a times we've shared the gospel in pride and in vanity. Many a times we've shared the gospel in trying to win the culture instead of winning hearts. And the only way to win the hearts of men is to speak the truth in love. So let's commit to carrying out this divine prescriptive given to us by God through the Apostle Paul. Let's commit ourselves to speaking the truth in love. And after Paul encourages these Ephesian believers and you and I to speak the truth in love, he goes on to say that we are to grow up in all aspects into him. Now, here when he states that we are to grow up in all aspects into him, Paul is simply restating the objective that he previously stated in Ephesians 4.13. And that objective is that we should all seek to grow to the point of being spiritually mature. Because in Ephesians 4.13, he says that we should attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a mature man. And when he says that we should attain to the unity of the faith, he is indicating that the church comprehensively and collectively as believers should come to the point to where they have a common understanding of the scriptures. He is indicating that the church should mature to the point to where they have a united understanding and the right interpretation of God's truth. And when he says that we should all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, he is indicating that the body of believers should grow to the point to where they have a deep understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that deep understanding should come from a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. It should come from a relationship that is characterized by deep prayer, by deep Bible study, by deep obedience to living according to the word of God. And when he goes on to say that we should attain to being a mature man, he is indicating to those believers in Ephesus and to you and I that we should grow to the point to where we exhibit a comprehensive Christ-likeness, meaning we should mature to the point 
to where we exhibit the qualities of Jesus Christ. We should exhibit the love of Christ, the humility of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the service nature of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul means when he says that we should grow up in all aspects into him. And after he makes this clear to those Ephesian believers, he goes on to state in verse 15, who is the head, even Christ. And with those words, Paul is establishing that Jesus Christ is the one in authority. He is making it evident to those Ephesians and to you and I that Jesus Christ and he alone is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control of heaven and earth. He is the one who is the head of the church. He is the one who is the head of the body. And in order for the believer to grow to the point of being spiritually mature, the power for that to happen comes from Jesus Christ. And therefore, in order for us to be spiritually mature, we should submit wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because without submission, there is no spiritual maturity. Without submission, there is no growing up into all aspects of him who is the head. There is no growing to Jesus Christ and the fullness of him to the point to where we exhibit his wonderful and divine qualities that he has enabled us to exhibit here on earth. Well, after Paul proclaims these indelible truths, he then proceeds on to verse 16, and he encourages those believers in some additional wonders about Jesus Christ and how he operates in building up the church. For he goes on to state concerning Jesus Christ that it is from him who the whole body being fitted and held together. Now here, Paul is indicating to those Ephesians that Jesus Christ is the one who holds the body of believers together. He is explaining that it is the spirit of Jesus Christ that unites us as one. Because at the point of salvation, each and every person who sincerely accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior receives the Holy Spirit of Christ. For as it says in Ephesians 1.13, having believed, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, each and every believer possesses the Spirit of Jesus Christ and he unites us as one body, as one universal church. This unity comes through spirit-filled believers. And this is why we can say there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And because Jesus and God are one, we are united in him as one. And this oneness only comes through Submission to Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say concerning. 
Jesus Christ and how he holds the body together, he says that it's by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Now, with the use of the word joints there, Paul is making a direct reference to the individual members of the body of Christ. And with the use of the word supplies, he's making a direct reference to the spiritual gifts that are given to each individual member by God. And those gifts that are given to us, we are to exercise those gifts. We are to share them with each other. Because God gives us these gifts specifically to to enable the church to function properly. And when believers don't exercise their spiritual gifts, when they don't share with each other, the church stagnates. And when we do share our spiritual gifts with each other, the church grows. And therefore, as members of Fairview Church, each and every one of us should do our best to recognize the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And then we should go out of our way to share these gifts with each other. Because in order for Fairview Church to become the church that God has ordained it to be, the only way that's going to happen is by each individual believer utilizing their gifts within the context of the church and sharing it with one another. The only way that Fairview Church is going to become the church that God ordains it to be and accomplish all that it has set forth by God to accomplish is for each and every one of us to come together and serve each other with the gifts that he has given us. And no matter who you are, no matter what your gift is, please know and understand that your gift is critical. God makes this very clear in the scriptures. For as he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 20, there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And therefore, God makes it very clear that we need each other. God makes it very clear that we are to share our gifts with one another. And when we do, Paul goes on to say, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the result of spiritually mature believers using their gifts to share it with one another. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And when we present ourselves as a loving body to the world, it is then that the world takes note of the great God that we served. It is then that the world takes note of the mighty God that we proclaim. It is then that the world takes note of the salvation that is offered through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's commit ourselves to being spiritually mature. Because when we are mature, the church grows properly. When we are mature, the church functions properly. When we are mature, the church operates properly. 
When we are mature, the church flourishes properly. When we are mature, the church advances properly. When we are mature, the church serves properly. When we are mature, Christ is glorified properly. When we are mature, the Spirit is glorified properly. When we are mature, the Father is glorified properly. So let's commit ourselves to be spiritually mature Christians so that we can then take that testimony to the world and they can come to know and honor the great God that we serve. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, you are so good to us. We thank you for the treasures found in your word. We thank you for how patient you are with us, dear God. For we have not always been committed to knowing you, to knowing the depth of your word, and to living according to it. And we ask that you please forgive us and then help us, dear God. Place within us a deep desire to study your holy truths that we may come to know you at a greater and greater level and serve you at a greater and greater level out of the love that you have displayed towards us by sacrificing your son, Jesus Christ, that we may receive salvation. We thank you for your word upon this day and for this meeting of believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.